I have some really, really important things I want to talk to you about, okay? And uh, some important things that are out of the book of James. We're going to start this conversation. And the way we want to start this conversation is this. I know something about all of you in the room. Here's what I know. You all are people of faith. All of you. You, you all are people of faith. You might be like, I'm not. You, you trust something. Every last one of us in this room has placed our faith in something. We're trusting something. Even if you're like, I don't believe in God, that's okay. I tell you this all the time. You don't have to agree with me to come here. You say, I might not be a person who believes in God, but you're trusting something. You're leaning the ladder of your life against something. You're trusting something to bring you happiness, joy, whatever purpose, whatever it is. And here's what I know. We live in a culture where people like us, people of faith, ready? Here we go, are looking for a faith that works. Let me explain it this way. We're looking for a spirituality that makes a difference. We're looking for a faith that works and a spirituality that makes a difference. Here's what I mean by that. We're we're people of faith, but what we want, and we live in a culture like this, where people want a faith that makes a difference, not just when they show up to a religious event, but a faith that makes a difference Monday through Saturday. Like we are a people that are looking for a faith that's gonna show up in my marriage, show up in my money, show up in my business, show up in my relationships, show up in my family. We're looking for a faith that works. We're looking for a spirituality that makes a difference. We're looking for something that's got some teeth to it. We don't simply want a faith that's spoken. We want a faith that somehow is tangible and demonstrated. Here's what's interesting about that. Because I know that about you. You're a person of faith and you want a faith that works, that matters, that makes a difference, that impacts your life. And here's what's ironic. God is looking, ready, for a faith that works. That's interesting. Like, like when he looks at us, what he is looking for is a faith that shows up, a spirituality that somehow makes a difference, a faith that somehow is going to impact not just today when we sing some really cool songs, but a faith that's going to impact tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday that's going to show up in our marriage and our money and our business and our relationships. God is looking for a faith that works. That's why we're looking at James. Because James, the book of James, is all about a faith that works. And what's interesting to me is who God chose to write a book about a faith that works. Stay with me on this. Because God could have chose anybody, right? He could have chose anybody to write this book. But what's interesting is who he chose to write a book about a faith that works. He's the one that the book is named after, and the very first verse that you have opened in your laps, we'll throw on the screen, says this, the author of the book, his name is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're like, okay, I could have figured that out by the name of the book, but here's what you may not have known, that this James, the James in chapter one, verse one, is the half-brother of Jesus. That's interesting. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and beyond that, ready, because some of you maybe are in this boat, James was the original skeptic. James, at first, did not believe his brother, right? James did not put his faith in his... In fact, if you read John 7, James, along with his siblings, they they thought, our brother's out of his mind. And and, and it's okay to laugh. Some of you are like, can I I laugh at that in church? It's okay, right? Because here's the deal. You You might be a skeptic too. If your big brother thought he was all that in a bag of chips and he went around telling her, I'm the son of God, right? You're probably not as his sibling gonna be like, hey, I'm in that fan club, right? 
And James wasn't. And John chapter 7 says that James doubted. And yet something changed. Stay with me on this. What changed? When did it change? Well, James, half-brother Jesus, happened to see his half-brother Jesus being killed on the cross. James, half-brother of Jesus, happened to see his half-brother literally killed on this cross and buried in a tomb three days in the tomb. And then James, half-brother of Jesus, happened to see, happened to be there when that Jesus who died was dead, was buried. The stones rolled over the grave. He showed up to a fish fry. Here's the deal. If you die and are buried and show up at a fish fry, I'm going to pay attention to what you have to say, right? Amen? Yeah. That's how it works, right? And here's the deal. James, the James we're reading of, was the original skeptic who now is a leader in the church at Jerusalem. You see why I think that's fascinating because some of you are skeptical. And that's okay, man. I'm glad you're here. And what's cool about the Bible is this whole book we're looking at is written by the original skeptic. James. But beyond that, I'm fascinated by who he wrote the book to. He wrote the book to, next slide, there we go, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And he says, greetings. You're like, okay, what difference does that make? He literally is writing the book to Jewish Christians. Stay with me. I want this to make sense to you. Jewish Christians who no longer are living in their homes in Jerusalem. You're like, why aren't they there? Well, add one and one and you get two. They've been persecuted and they've been run out of their homes. And so he's writing this to Jewish Christians who are undergoing a really hard time. Look here a second. This is how James starts to think. The original skeptic, this is written by a real person who really, really doubted. And he's writing it to real people who are going through a really, really hard time. And he's writing to them about a faith that really works. I'm going to say it again. This book is written by a real person who really, really doubted. And he's writing it to real people who are going through a really, really hard time. And he's writing to them about a faith that really, really works. And why that's interesting to me is because there's nothing, right? There's nothing that I know of that will test whether or not your faith works more than when you and I walk through hard times. You see, when you and I walk through hard times, that becomes a make or break moment for our faith. I've seen this up close and personal. I've been a pastor for almost 25 years. And with that comes the privilege and the opportunity and the excruciating pain. I'm going to say it again. With that comes the privilege and the excruciating pain to walk with people very intimately through some very dark moments. I've sat in the living room as a mom and dad tried to make sense of the loss of their child. I've stood in the front yard as a family watched their house and everything they have burned to the ground. I've navigated through suicide with families. I've watched families try to make sense of abuse, addiction. I've sat with marriages that have literally been shaken by adultery. I've watched as families tried to make sense of how in the world can we find hope? It seems so dark. Here's what I found about trials, ready? Listen close, I don't wanna mumble. Trials are neutral. We all face them. Trials are neutral, but how people go through them are not. 
I've watched people walk through the same trials, and for some, it pushes them far away from God, and others, it pushes them even closer to God. Trials are neutral. They happen, right? But, I, but how people go through those trials depends on this. You ready? Depends on whether or not they figured out that their faith works. Because for some people, walking through really hard times pushes them far away from God, where others it pushes them into a God in whom their faith is. That's what James wants to talk to us about. In fact, he starts the whole thing by saying this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Happy Memorial Day weekend, right? I love this about James. He doesn't even start with any flowery material, does he? He's like, hello, bam, right? Like, James is not going to get a job at the Hallmark greeting store, right? He's just not going to do it. He's not where I'm going to go if I'm facing a hard time because he doesn't even give any flowery information. He says, hey, guys, I want you to count it joy. Oh, when you face trials of many kinds. And what's fascinating is that James, right out the gate, wants to hit us with the very thing that for some of us breaks our faith and for others it makes our faith. And he says some things that are interesting that we got to tear this apart. We have to tear it apart. There are some words in here that you ought to circle in your Bible. The first is this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Look at this word, whenever. What's he saying? Listen, listen. He's saying not if, he's saying when. He's saying not if you face trials, if you go through hard times, if you face difficulty. He's saying when you do it. He's saying trials, hard times, difficulty, struggle is inevitable. Listen close. He's saying don't be surprised by it. Be prepared for it. He's saying when you face difficulty, don't be surprised by it because whenever. He's saying instead, I want you to be prepared. A faith that works is prepared for it. Here's what I know, right? Look here a second. Because I know some of y'all's stories. Now look here a second. I want to see your eyes. Love you guys. Think about y'all week long. Some of you, your whenever is today. Right now. You're in it. You didn't see it coming. Others of you, your whenever was yesterday. You went through it a month ago. And there's no guarantee your whenever won't come again. And for some of you, you're younger and you're like, man, I haven't faced my whenever, but can I tell you this? What James seems to be saying is whenever is coming. Whenever is coming. They're inevitable. Trials, hard times are inevitable. And then he says something else. He says, whenever you, look at this word, face. That's interesting, right? Because some of you really like studying the Bible, so I want to tell you something interesting about this word, Okay. And and if you enjoy this kind of stuff, you might want to write this down. It's the very same word that Jesus uses in a story that he tells about the Good Samaritan. You remember there was this guy going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's going down this road, and it says he fell into the hands of robbers, and these robbers stripped him of everything he had. The very same word he uses there is the word here, that he fell into, you face. What is he saying? He's saying that none of us Ready? None of us schedule our difficulties. They're unpredictable. Nobody in the room wakes up and says, hey, you know, I think Tuesday would be a great day for a bad day. Right? If you do, schedule an appointment. (laughs) Right? Like, nobody does that. Like, like nobody wakes up and says, I think this would be a great day for the doctor to say, hey, you got cancer. I think this would be a great day 
for, for, for me to go to work and him to say, hey, you no longer have a job. Nobody schedules it. It's unpredictable. It's unplanned. And he says, so whenever you face these unplanned trials, and then he says something else. Look at this. He says, oh, say the words out loud. Many kinds. That's interesting to me. He's saying that our trials, our hard times, come like Baskin-Robbins in 39 flavors, right? He's, listen, listen. This is important. I'm going to tell you something important. It's for free. He's saying your trial's different than my trial. My trial's different than your trial. I'm going to say it again. He's saying your trial's different than my trial. My trial's different than your trial. Like, like our trials come in all shapes and sizes and intensities. There are financial trials. There's relationship trials, marriage trials, family trials. Some of you are in that. You're like... My kids, I don't even know where they're at. Some of you are in a financial trial. like, I don't even know how we're going to make it the rest of the week, right? Some of you are in a relationship trial. She left me. Some of you are in trials that, 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 that maybe no one else in the room knows. I guarantee you there's people like that here, right? And what he's saying is our trials are different. And because our trials are different, that tells me two things. That tells me two things. This is for free. Be sure to write this down. This is just free as you relate with people. First is this. Comparing my trials to your trials is not that helpful. Write it down somewhere. Some of you need to write it more than others, maybe. I don't know. Comparing my trials to your trials is not that helpful. You ever been with somebody? See if this ever happened to you. You ever been with somebody and you share this deep struggle you're going through and you're like, oh, I'm really facing a hard time and they look at you and they say, I know exactly how you feel and then they begin to tell you about all their trial and quit listening about your trial? You ever been with somebody? Raise your hand if you ever been with somebody like that, right? I hate that. I mean, I hate, I hate that, right? It's like all of a sudden it's like, I know exactly. Or worse yet, you ever been with somebody who looks at you and they hear you, your struggle and they say, you think that's bad? Let me tell you what happened to me. Raise your hand if you ever had that you. Anybody? Yeah. I hate that, right? Right? All of our trials are different. All of our trials are different, Right? They have a specific to them. There's a personal nature to them. And it tells me this, that not only is comparing them not beneficial, listen, that one answer doesn't fit all situations. That's for those of you who are really, really churched in the room. Because here's the deal. The answer that God's going to work it all to the good to those who love him doesn't always work all the time in every situation, and sometimes it's not the appropriate time. That, 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 that not every answer is for every situation. I was reading a book by Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, and he was talking about a guy who documented, he was going through a hard time, and he documented all the things people said to him. And then he categorized them, the top 10 things people said. And he said, it was interesting, the top 10 things people said, he then organized them. And he said the top five, one through five, that people said were absolutely of no help to him whatsoever while he was facing this hard time, loss of a loved one, things like that. But six through 10 were very helpful to him. Now listen, what was interesting is as Tim Keller was reading that document, he simply said this, as I read one through 10 when I was going through my battle with cancer, I found that six through 10 wasn't that helpful to me. But one through five, the very things that he didn't find helpful were helpful to me. See how that works? Like not every answer is helpful all the time. And because our trials are different, that, that, that literally comparing them is not going to be a benefit all the time. And there's not a one-size-fits-all answer, which makes what James says here in James 1 very interesting. He says, consider it 
pure joy. How many of you read that and you like say what? <laughs> like read your Bible honestly. It's going to make more sense to you if you do. It's okay to read that. I read that and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Consider it pure joy and trials don't seem to go together, right? Seems like an oxymoron to me. And yet I want to tell you something about that. You've got to get this. I don't often do this, but you've got to go down deep, come up, okay? That's written in Greek and it's written in a certain tense, Okay? A certain tense, and that makes a difference. Makes a difference. Arist imperative. You can forget that. Here's what he's saying. I want you to make up your mind to consider it joy before it even happens. Write it down somewhere, because that's important. It's an accounting term, and he says, I want you to put joy in the deposit column before the trials even come. He's saying, build the boat before there's a flood. That's what he's saying. He said, consider it joy right now before you're even in the middle of it. Well, it begs this question, why would I consider it joy when I'm going through hard times? Because some of you just aren't feeling it. And you're thinking, why would I consider this joy right now when I'm facing hard times? And James wants you to know this, ready? Consider it joy because when you're in the dark moment, in the tough situation, that's when we're going to see a faith that works. And he's going to talk to us about several things. He's going to say this. Now, look here. He's going to say, count it joy. Ready? Because of what you know and because of what you don't know. Let me say it again. Like, what? He's going to say, count it joy because of what you know and because of what you don't know. The very first thing he says, if you just follow his train of thought, he says, because you what? No. He says, count it joy because you know. I want to stop here a second and say this. This is so important. Some of you know people going through hard times. It might be helpful to them. Some of you are in the middle of a hard time, okay? And so it might be helpful to you. But I want to tell you this. Ready? God is very clear, you ready, that you can be real about how you feel. Listen close. But how you go through hard times is all about what you know. I'm going to say it again. God is very clear. You and I, when we're going through hard times, we can be real about how we feel. Right? That's just being honest. But how we go through hard times is all about what we know. You see, here's the deal. I know sometimes when I'm in the middle of a hard time, if I did what I felt... I'm going to be all over the place. Anybody with me on that? Because sometimes my feelings can deceive me. And what James is saying is, listen, if you want to go through hard times in a way that, that, that embraces a faith that works, it begins by going through hard times and counting it joy because of what you know, not what you feel. Because some of you are in a very hard time right now, and you feel a certain way. And he says, now you've got to lean into what you know. Let me say it this way. Look here a second. He's saying, he's saying this, that the pair of glasses that you need to walk as you go through hard times is a true understanding of who God is and what he says. If those are the glasses that I wear, I truly know who God is and understand what he says, then I'm going to walk through hard times. He's saying 
this, that if I wait for hard times to come and if hard times are the glasses that I wear, I'm going to get a distorted vision of God. That's what he's saying. He simply is saying to us that our theology needs to determine how we walk through pain and suffering. That's what he's saying. So then he says, because you know, look at what he says in the rest of the verse, and then I, wanna, I want you to fill something in on your outlines. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want you to write it down this way. What's he saying? He's saying faith that works gets stronger when it's under stress. Faith that works gets stronger when it's under stress. He's simply saying trials can test and strengthen my faith. Let me just talk honestly to you as one of your pastors for a second. I have people come to me all the time. Ready? This is just us talking in my office. Okay, so if you can imagine, I'm just having a talk with you right now. People come to me all the time, this is what they say. Pastor Dan, ready? Do you have any resources for me that I can grow in my faith? Like five books that I can read, or is there a seminar I can go to, right? Like all of us in the room would love five books to make me stronger in my faith, right? Like three seminars I could go to that's going to make me stronger in my faith. And, if, and, and there's plenty of those, by the way. And I'll give you some books that are powerful. But if I'm reading James right, nothing, nothing, ready? Nothing will strengthen my faith quite like facing hard times. Like, wow, I'm glad I came today, huh? I think that's what James is saying. Why? Because God is producing something in my hard times. That's why if you come to my office, some of you have heard me say this, this is, it sounds cold. It sounds cold, but I believe it. When you're going through hard times, it's not about getting over it. I'll say, I hope you don't get over it. People look at me like, that's unkind. I say, no, no, don't get over it. Get through it. Why do I say it that way? Because if I'm reading James right, God's doing something through this. God is somehow trying to lean into me. And he uses some key words that you ought to underline your way. He says, he says that the testing of your faith is the same word that, a, that, that would have been used for a fire that would have refined gold and the impure was burned off and the pure stayed. He's saying that, that as we do this, this trial, this hard time, this dark moment, God's testing. It's like a fire that's burning away what's unnecessary and it's strengthening what is necessary when it comes to our faith. L- l- listen, Let's face it, can I get some honesty in the room? When we face a hard time, usually, you may not struggle with this, but usually my first prayer is this, God, please change my circumstances. If you'll just change the circumstances and make this hard time not so hard, I'll go to Africa, right, or whatever, right? That's what we pray. And yet God's power, ready? God's power to change my circumstances because he's an all-powerful God will never produce in me what he wants more than anything else. And that is a faith that's been refined even by fire sometimes. You gotta write this down somewhere. Trials work my faith. And then it's trials that make my faith work. Trials will work my faith. That's why people respond different in hard times. Because hard times have a way, right? Have a way. I want to say this with tenderness. I see you writing that stuff down. I'm going to wait. Trials have a way of revealing if my faith works, if it truly is genuine. 
Wow. That's a big statement. Trials have a way of being a fire to show me if there's anything left that's pure. Right? You tracking? That's interesting. You see, this is so countercultural. I don't know if you thought about this, it's interesting to me. It's so countercultural to us. We, we live in a culture that avoids pain at all costs. I was reading, and I won't bore you with reading it, but I was reading this, this social anthropologist who was writing about this, and he was talking about how the generations past in their religious philosophies found ways to help people deal with pain. And he said as they've studied cultures that they found that our modern Western culture is the absolute weakest culture in dealing with pain. And then they went on to study, well, why are we so weak when it comes to dealing with pain? And here's what he said, because the culture's past found a way, found a way that they embraced pain as part of the fabric of life. There's a purpose, there's some sort of plan, but we live in a culture where we value more than anything else pleasure and freedom, and so we see pain as an interruption. We live in a culture that wants to avoid pain at all costs and wants a God who simply gives pleasure. And what James is saying is this, that in our desire to prevent pain, avoid pain, that maybe God is producing something in our pain. I don't want to say this without sensitivity because he says this, he's producing perseverance. He's producing this, this ability to withstand adversity bravely. Here's the way to remember it. Listen. Some of you, some of you train for races and competition, right? I see some of y'all at the YMCA, right? Not all of you. I don't know what's wrong with you, right? But I see some of you there. And, and those of you who I see there, very rarely are you happy when I see you there, right? It's not like a woo, right? And some of you that I see there, you're like struggling and straining and what? Why? Because if you're training... For a competition, you want to strengthen your muscles. Well, how in the world do you strengthen your muscles? You do what? You put them under what? Stress. And when you put them under stress, all of a sudden you begin to train your muscles to be able to endure what it is that you want to run. Here's what God's saying. He says, sometimes the hard stuff that we face is the very thing that God uses to put our muscle of faith under stress so that we can be trained and that we might be able to have endurance. Let me say it this way. You ready? Let me say it this way. When it comes to those of you in the room who would say, I'm somebody who's a follower of Christ, I adhere to the Christian faith, can I just say this to you? It's easy to adhere to being a follower of Christ in the Christian faith and love everyone when everyone in my life is lovable. But when all of a sudden that person, some of you looked down when I said that, some of you looked beside you and you shouldn't have. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> when that person's in your life, it's like God's saying, let's try to do a little bit of lifting with your faith. It's easy to have hope. Christian, man, that's a, I got hope. When everything's hopeful. Try it when it seems like all hope's lost. All of a sudden, God says, I want you to lift that weight for a minute. It's easy to be patient when everybody in your life is 
very tolerable to be around. But you put that one person in your life who's like the fly in the ointment, and all of a sudden it's like God says, listen, 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 listen. It's easy to say, Jesus is all I need, right? It's like put it on a T-shirt when I have all I want. But it's quite a different thing to say Jesus is all I need when he's all I got. That's what James is saying. That's all, that, that's all he's saying. Like God's producing something. He's doing something right now. He's doing something right now. And he says, so let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature. Can I just talk to you about that for a second? We can't race past it. If you're in the room and you would call yourself a follower of Christ, being mature, what does it mean to be mature? I think we, we make it too difficult. Being mature as a Christ follower is becoming more and more like, you don't know? More and more like who? Christ. Listen, listen, look here a second. If being mature is becoming more and more like Christ, isn't it interesting that many of us in the room want to be mature and more like Christ without having to walk the path he walked, encounter the difficulty he encountered, and navigate the hard times that he navigated? Isn't that interesting? Like, I want to be just like Christ in a different way. Like, is there any way I can be just like Christ by reading a book? And I, all I know to say is I don't know that there's a shortcut because what he says is this difficulty we're in is him producing maturity. And so he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's he saying there? He simply is equipping you for life, that our trials can turn us into a mature person who's equipped for what it is that he has for us to do. Look here, I'll just be personal about this. I am a, my personal story is this, I am a way better, for lack of a better word, pastor because 15 years ago, I didn't think I was going to make it and was that close to quitting and never would have chosen it. And if you told me I could choose it again, I would never choose it again. And it felt like hell on earth to me. And I thought I was losing my mind. You see, what was God doing? I... I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. Let's be real. But I am here today and I am a way better pastor because back then I thought I'm going to come apart. You see, some of you are in that right now. And I'm not being insensitive. I'm just saying that count it all joy because of what you know God's doing something. But it's not just that he's doing something. You need to know this, that he's preparing you for something. Let me say it this way. You ready? <laughs> I think what he wants us to say is that my most painful moments might become my most powerful ministry opportunities. You ought to write that down and just hang on, even if you don't feel it and you're frustrated about it. Write it down. My most painful moments might become my most powerful ministry opportunities. You see, for some of you, you I already see that playing out. I've watched some of you that have walked the path of cancer put your arm around somebody who just found out they had cancer. And all of a sudden, you have a powerful ministry opportunity that you didn't have unless you had walked that path. We have an incredible group of widows that hang out around here 
And I know this, when some of you lose your spouse, here's the deal. I mean, I might come, put my arm around you and bring comfort, but no, I'm not going to bring you comfort like my mother-in-law is. She's walked that journey. See how that works? So what James seems to be saying is count it joy. Why? Because of what you know. But he also says this. This is fascinating. He says count it joy because of what you don't know. Look what he says, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, can we just stop here and say in the middle of our really hard stuff, a lot of times we're not sure what to do? Just shake your head if anybody. Yeah, okay, I see a couple of you that are being honest. Sometimes when life seems the darkest, like what should I do? What should I do? And here's what he says. If you don't know what to do, then you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What's he saying? I want you to write this down. I'll just hang here for a second. He's saying, faith that works grows wiser when it doesn't know what to do. Faith that works grows wiser when it doesn't know what to do. Now, for the sake of the clock and my voice, I want to condense someone. I'm going to say, okay. What he's saying here is this, is that when we're in the trials and hard times, that the trials and hard times can either push me to isolation or intimacy. Say it again that my trials and hard times can either push me to isolation or intimacy. And when I'm in the darkest moments of my life, that is the moments of my life when I have the opportunity to experience uniquely an intimacy with a God who he says is wise, generous, and loves me more than I know. You see, my times of pain when I don't know what to do push me into a God who invites me and never finds fault. Some of you are in your whenever right now and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. And simply what James is saying is you don't know what to do, so run into God in the middle of this moment when you lack wisdom and do it with faith. Faith in what? Faith that God is generous and wise. He might not give you the explanation. Let me say that again. That's so important. He might not give you the explanation, but he'll provide wisdom. And sometimes what that looks like is he'll tell you what to do. Sometimes that means he'll tell you what not to do. Sometimes it's simply he'll give you a different perspective on your life. Sometimes it's he'll give you a different perspective on who he is. Sometimes he'll use other people. Sometimes he'll use his word, but he will provide wisdom. But what he's saying is run into his presence and stay there. Listen close. Wrestle with him as long as it takes. Because maybe, just maybe at the end of it, even if you don't have the answer you were looking for, you'll get God. And that's what's most important. I had a friend of mine call me here in the last several days and she's in a bad situation and she told me what she wanted to do she's really really angry and she should be she should be she wants to take some action out of her anger I don't blame her. So she told me what her plan was. 
<clears throat> she said to me, she said, Pastor Dan, do you think that's a good idea? That's the way a lot of y'all operate, right? Give me your plan and they want me to rubber stamp it, right? I said to her, I said, I understand why you feel that way. And I don't blame you. But I said, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Because you don't know what to do. And what I would rather you do is stay on the wrestling mat and wrestle with God as long as it takes. Before you decide out of your anger, out of your own, I'm going to take this into my own hands. You see, if you wrestle there long enough, maybe you'll see God in a way you've never seen him. Maybe you'll see yourself in a way you've never seen yourself. Maybe he'll begin to show you things you didn't see, but you've got to stay and wrestle. Some of you right now are right there. Like, I don't know what to do, and I just want to run. I just want to get out from underneath of it. And he's like, no, no, just wrestle with me. Because maybe at the end of it, you'll get God. You see, you wrestle long enough when you face things that are inexplicable and seem so unjust. You wrestle with a God who always does the right thing and who's always sovereign. And maybe you begin to see God in a different way. When all of a sudden you begin to wrestle in life because of the stupid choices you've made, you wrestle long enough and you see God is a father who loves me and cares about me. But listen. Listen, listen, listen. If you wrestle long enough with that God, you wrestle long enough with that God, stay on the mat with that God, eventually you'll end up at a cross where you see a God who suffered with us, but he didn't just suffer with us, he suffered for us. And then you'll realize where a faith that works comes from in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says this, I want you to wrestle long enough till you fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of a faith that works. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, look here a second. I gotta be done. When I read that, I ask the question, what's the joy that was set before Jesus? He said, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author <clears throat> and perfecter of a faith that works. What in the world was the joy, count it all joy, that was set before him to make him endure the cross? Look here, everybody, look here. It was you. 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 It was you, 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 you. You see what's interesting, guys, is we have a God who suffered with us, but he suffered for us. And this God who suffered for us wants to walk with us, even if that means wrestling with him in the middle of what we're wrestling with. He said, I want you to wrestle long enough till you all of a sudden fix your eyes completely on Jesus. I want to get out and do what I want to do to make things right. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there's a faith that really works. I want everybody in the room to bow your heads, if you would, with me for a minute. I just want to pray over you, and I want to pray with you, and some of you in the room, 
you're wrestling, and I don't know what all you're wrestling with, but this morning you're wrestling. And maybe you've never ended up at this cross where Jesus is and realize that that cross and that story is all about a God who loves you and died for you. And this morning, a faith that really works begins with you saying yes to that Jesus. And you might have walked in this room a skeptic just like James, but the truth is there is a God who is who literally died to have a relationship with you. You had a wrong impression of that God. Somebody yelled at you long enough about that God. Somebody screamed at you long enough about that God. You thought that God was disenfranchised, disappointed, and yet he has died to have a relationship with you this morning. And this morning, his invitation is, will you say yes to me? You simply say, yes, God, I know I'm a sinner, that Jesus died for me so that I could be forgiven of my sin, have a relationship with you, and hope for heaven. Right there in your seat, you can say yes to Jesus. And man, if that's a conversation you've had with God this morning, somehow I'd love to hear that. Email, write it on your card, somehow let me know that. There's a whole bunch of you in the room, though, that you would say, I'm somebody who said yes to Jesus, but your whenever is today. I know some of your stories. And there's no answer for why, and you don't even know what you should do right now. And maybe the whole purpose for you sitting in this service at this moment is so that you can hear God to say, even when you don't know what to do, you know who to turn to. And maybe his invitation to you this morning is simply, will you wrestle with me long enough till at the end of this struggle, at the end of this disappointment, at the end of this frustration, you'll find me. And your eyes will be fixed on the one who died on the cross for you. And maybe he's speaking into your life this morning and saying, listen, listen, I'm doing something even in the middle of this really hard time. I'm not asking you to be Pollyannish about it. I'm just asking you to run to me. And some of you right there in your seat, in the quietness of this moment, your prayer needs to be, God, help me. I don't know what to do. God, help me. I don't know what to do. But I don't want to run. I don't want to isolate. I want a faith that works. And I realize you got me on the mat and there's something that's under stress. Help me know what to do. Because God, at the end of the day, we want a spirituality that makes a difference and a faith that works. And none of us would choose any of the hard times that we face. And yet we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're working. And so we trust you. God, I think about the man that I met last night, the man I met for the very first time last night, whose 12-year-old son died unexpectedly. He's wrestling. God, I think about dear friends of mine walking through a really hard time right now. And they're wrestling. Oh God, wrap your arms around them in a unique way and I pray they would not squiggle out from underneath your embrace. I think about the man in this room trying to figure out his life and the questions that he's wrestling with because of a relationship that has gone different than he wanted and I pray that you'd help him to wrestle with you to find you
God, it's hard for us to recognize that our pain can cultivate intimacy with you. And yet at the end of the day, we want you. That's what we want. Because that's a faith that works. Thanks for loving us, even when things are hard. Thanks for helping us. I pray this in Jesus' name.